Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, with a mission to help provide you with the resources and tools to help make your music making more effective and enjoyable. During COVID-19, Houghton Horns has newly expanded policies that make it easier to purchase and test drive the best equipment during a time when safety and staying home are top priorities. There's a 15-day money-back guarantee with free shipping and free returns on new instruments and mouthpieces and multiple easy financing options on all inventory. Terms and conditions apply. If you're interested in trying out an amazing instrument in the selection of brass instruments that they have, now is the time. In addition to the musical instruments they provide, Houghton Horns is committed to creating high-quality music education content to help get great playing and pedagogy videos into the hands of those who need it. Check out HoughtonHorns.com and their YouTube channel, Houghton Horns, for more information. All right, that's enough from me. Let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I'm very overjoyed to have Christopher Wilson, trumpet player extraordinaire, with me here. Uh, Chris is a former military musician, a uh, former uh, academic, uh, teaching students and stuff like that. But uh, currently he's in uh, principal trumpet of the Pittsburgh Opera. Uh, and so I- I'm just excited to have this opportunity. He and I have had some interaction in the past. We've, we're talking before the episode started about <laughs> ways we almost bumped into each other. Um, but this is really awesome for me to sit down. I've heard through students of yours, people who've known you, many, many good things about you. So this is, for me, a very awesome opportunity to be able to connect with you. So first of all, thank you for being willing to do this. Thanks so much, Ryan, for having me. Like I said, uh, when we were just talking a minute ago, I've always been a big fan of this podcast and the the things that you're doing and moving toward, you know, being an entrepreneur. And, uh, you know, it's an example to, to a lot of us. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Um, I think we could just get started with sort of your musical history, where however far back you think um, would be helpful for us to see where you got started, what made you possibly choose the trumpet, things like that. And we'll just kind of follow your career. I know you were saying your career has had, uh, you ended up in places you didn't necessarily think you were going to go uh, when you first started out. So I'd just be curious to sort of track your progress, how you got various places, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, that's correct. I, I, I'm a first-generation musician. I didn't have parents um, who were musicians, and so I just actually sort of happened into it. I played trumpet because my best buddy was going to play trumpet, and I thought that'd be a great class for us to cut up in. You know, that's that's sort of how I got my start, and I learned pretty quickly that it came naturally to me. And uh, by the time I was in eighth grade, sort of, you know, like a lot of us, I felt like music was choosing me as a career. Now, I had no idea what that would look like. Um, and, you know, I was uh, I was pretty uh, bent on going to the state university. Uh, I grew up uh, a huge sports fan. And so it was always kind of a dream to go to my, my home state university. And so, you know, I had a good teacher there, a guy named Bob Bright, 
but went to the University of Arkansas to study with him and actually had um, Bright for a few years. He was actually Chickowitz's first student at Northwestern. So, so oh, wow. Yeah, and he lived in the basement um, of Shilke and helped Shilke out when he was developing the E3L and all, all these other things. And the Chicago Brass Quintet would come over to Shilke's house and rehearse once a week, and he got to see all that sort of thing. So that was that was my background. And so, but, you know, go, going back a little bit, uh, junior high, high school, I you know, I didn't know... Um, you know, what it would mean to be a uh, somebody who pursued trumpet. And so somebody had told me that you should probably major in music education um, and, uh, and go from there. And so I was kind of on a band director track when I got to the University of Arkansas. And, but I did have a, a great teacher, and he was toward the end of his career. And we barely got out of Getchell book one. You know, I mean, it was just fundamentals all the time. I mean, it was this back and forth sort of thing that that I actually really needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes at one point I was like, you know, when can we do something else? You know, I would do one solo piece a semester and, and getchel basically for, for those three years. And so I kind of pushed back on it a little bit at the time, but I certainly appreciate the foundation because I needed that foundation because I didn't have it. And, you know, so that was really important. And, you know, I remember it's funny because he gave me the Hinnemouth Trumpet Sonata when I, when I was a freshman. And I thought, gosh, why couldn't you have given me something a little bit more challenging? You know, I mean, <laughs> that's really what, you know, you look at the Hinnemouth and you're, right. like, and you're thinking, you know, this is not technically hard, but it, it's, you know, one of the hardest pieces in our repertoire. But anyway, so I did get a solo piece and then, and then a really slow start into, into college, which I, which I really needed because I was not particularly mature Um uh, as a musician, uh, uh, certainly, and also as a person. So it was kind of a slow way for me to get going. And then as I got going at the University of Arkansas, he retired, um, and my fourth year, uh, Whiff Red came in oh, nice. at the University of Arkansas. So I just kind of happened into that. And so Whiff was there, and so I was ready. You know, when Whiff got there my fourth year, um, you know, things just started to happen on the trumpet. You know, things started to come together. And um, and so Whiff came up to me one day because I was getting ready to student teach and I was going to be a band director. I mean, I, that was what I was going to do. And he talked me into sticking around because we were just getting started for grad school. So so I had Whiff my senior year and I stuck around for grad school. And that's when I really, for the first time, um, started uh practicing. I mean, really, I mean, when I was in grad school, it was the first time that I actually practiced. And so really pursued this and decided, hey, I'm going to give this thing two years, see if I can uh, do the performance thing. If not, I'm going to go back. I had the music ed degree and I was going to go back and, and be a teacher. And I would have been fine with that, actually. You know, I still love band rooms and that that so that whole vibe and would have would have enjoyed that and would have loved it. But pursued this um, and those during those two years, so they're very, very transformational. Um, I don't know if you want to take a pause here before we move on, or, or um, I actually have one question exactly sure. where you're at. You you painted this picture. I I had two years. I started practicing. Did you feel like in your mind you were saying, "I'll give myself two years to see if this is a real thing, and if it doesn't work out, this is not for me"? Or because I feel like a lot of people can do that, give themselves sort of self-imposed timelines. Is that kind of what happened for you too? I think that's exactly what it was. I mean, it was clear to me, like, you know, and I had these two years to get my stuff together. 
because you know I didn't I didn't grow up going to the festivals in the summer times I had to work I didn't grow up with this idea that I want to play in a major orchestra I love listening to orchestra music but it wasn't really a reality for me because that, that's not something that you know um, I thought you know kid from Arkansas small town you know I just didn't think that, that was an option for me it's not that I didn't work hard or it's not that I didn't have great teaching, but that's sort of where I was at that time. And so, yeah, when I got to grad school and uh, with, um, you know, just completely opened things up for me. And, you know, I mean, I was like a, a sponge. Mm. Uh, you know, I was, I don't know, I was, I don't remember taking a class in grad school. I mean, I, I was just practicing the whole time, you know, I'm sure I did, but, you know, I feel <laughs> like, uh, I feel like nine or 10 hours a day, I was, you know, doing trumpet and, and I'm not talking about lip time, obviously, but you know, I mean, that's, that's what I did each and every day and sort of dedicated myself to that and, and didn't really take auditions until the end there, you know? And so, mm -hmm. so that's sort of, that's sort of, you know, my start with all that. Yeah. I mean, I have my answer to this question, uh, but I think it's a very idealistic answer. And so for someone who, uh, sort of lived this. Do you feel that self-imposing that time frame made you work harder? Do you feel like you're glad that you had that? When other you hear other people speak in this way, are you saying? Do you say to yourself, or say to them rather, like don't do, don't put a time frame. Just keep working. It'll happen. Perseverance, patience, all that kind of thing. Like, what's your relationship with encouraging others and what you felt like it may have done for you? Because for me, it seems I would say. Oh, like don't self-impose this time frame. You just have all the time in the world. But I wonder if putting that time frame made a difference for you in some way. Yeah, two things here. First of all, those two years, yes, I absolutely put a time frame on it, right? But I was getting really good teaching from Wiff, and 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 you know, he was saying, you know, when I got my first job, you know, some people settle, and, and uh, he encouraged me not to do that. And and really, that kind of marks my career, as we'll see later, because I'm kind of a late bloomer with everything, but I, you know, I never quit working like I did during those two years. Yeah. But those two years were a test pilot for, for what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Sure. Oh, that makes sense. And so in that way, you, you took it seriously because of these two years you had with WIF, but you're sort of subscribing to this long-term growth mentality idea that like, it's never ending. You're just got to keep putting in the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I would love your thoughts because I think a lot of people, I mean, this happened to me. I feel like I got my jobs and then I sort of said, well, what now? I don't know maybe how to get better. I sort of didn't take and learn some authority with my own learning. I just did what my teachers told me to do. And that caused success. But I feel I got into this rut of, well, when I don't have my teachers, I don't know how to get better, which has fueled literally everything that I'm doing right now right. in my career, right? So I'm kind of curious how you, what kind of work you may have done with WIF that allowed you to feel like you could take that and have that authority in your playing as you had your first job and onwards. Like, was there certain conversations you had or how did that happen? Well, yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing, I was very nervy. Most of us are when we're younger. Um, but I remember like, you know, like a Tuesday recital when you'd go up and play like a solo piece in front of your colleagues. I mean, I was an absolute wreck. My senior recital was an absolute disaster. In fact, later I, I played it for a couple of my Arkansas State students, uh, you know, five, six years ago. And they, they were like, that's you? And I'm like, yeah, 
Yeah, that was absolutely me, and it was awful. And so I, I didn't have a handle um, on on the, the nerve situation. What, what I learned with WIF when I actually started practicing is that, you know, through preparation, um, that those things start to fade away. You know, mm-hmm. you know that the nerve issues and, and, and then having some positive performances. You know, a lot of people say they learned a lot from their negative experiences. Well, that wasn't the case for me. I learned a lot from positive experiences and things began to snowball in the performance area, you know, as a result of preparation specifically. And that's the, that's the big thing, I think, that I would take away from that. This is obviously a big field of interest for me, so I kind of want to dig in a little bit more. Uh, when you talk about preparation, and I totally agree with this sort of, if you prepare in a certain way and you sound good, at, at most of the time you're going to start believing you can do a lot of things just because you're already always doing it. So I'm kind of curious, what does preparation, maybe you could get general or somewhat specific, some things that are important for you when preparing to make sure that you're going to build the best version of yourself as a performer when a performance comes along. Is there a certain system you have or is there a general approach you have that allows you to feel confident that you may have developed over time? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, you know, um, my first session of the day, you know, if we're going to get specific here, um, I don't usually miss, okay? And, and, and what, I, what my first session of the day is, is we all, you know, it's, it's sort of this whole warming up thing and the systematic warm up and, and all this is, you know, maybe, maybe can be controversial. I had a oboe professor at Arkansas State tell me, you know, warming up is a sign of insecurity. And if, that, if that's the case, you know, then, then I'm a pretty insecure fellow. But, <laughs> you know, really it take, only takes most of us 10 or 15 minutes to warm up. Right. So, so for me, it's, it's more about the fundamentals uh, part of that. And so I'll have like a seconds pro timer. It changes, but I'm like at a 52 minute sort of maintenance session slash warm up that, that I do every day and I don't miss. And even on a day that I'm taking off, I will still get that, get that one in there. And I think it wasn't until I got serious about that part of the day that I began to get, gain traction on the trumpet. And so I'm, uh, you know, if I have an Easter gig, you know, and I have to be there at five in the morning, I'm in my car running this, you know, running this thing at 3.30 or whatever it is. It's just something that I've really guard, guarded and protected. And if I, in the rare occasion that I skipped it, there's a reason I don't skip it because, I, I, you know, I, you kind of fall flat on your face without this. And so it's kind of a lifeline for me. And, and I take it, very serious, and I'm very passionate about that part of my day. I would say, and I assume you would agree with this, that doing the routine or doing that part of your day in and of itself is not the saving grace. It's the way that you approach doing it and sort of the mindset and the mentality and what your goal is with doing it. So to try to pick that apart, uh, is there a specific goal that you have where you say, I'm starting here and my goal is to develop this over the course of time? What sort of approach do you have so that people listening who maybe would like to develop a sort of secure routine with this understand that playing Arbin exercise, whatever, is not the point. The point is using that to develop some sort of thing that you, what, what are your goals with developing that? No, that's a great question. You know, I typically start off like we all do with some flow and some easy things, and then you gradually expand. But the most important part of this session for me is addressing weaknesses that I have. And so, and, and you know, again, this evolves, it changes all the time. But, you know, I, there's one, for four minutes, I, I call it Scheherazade tonguing. 
And so it's not really Blanche Scheherazade, but I'm working all kinds of articulation patterns because it's a weakness. Mm-hmm. I'm addressing weaknesses in this part of the day, right? So, so I have four minutes of Scheherazade, I rest for three, then I have four more minutes of Scheherazade tonguing where I'm doing every different articulation possible. And believe it or not, you can get a lot done in four minutes, you know, yeah, eight I minutes agree. total. And uh, so low Gs, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, you know, the low notes have been an issue for me. Mm-hmm. And so I spend three minutes in, as part of this on a low G. And I do like some Bill Adam where I'll grow it and then I'll decrescendo, I'll do some articulations down there. And I'm starting to see progress, right? For about six weeks, I've been really focusing in on a low G as part of this. And so fingers are always a, a, an issue. And I spend five minutes on fingers right now. If I feel like I need more, I'll tweak that. And, you know, usually on Sunday nights, I'll, I'll integrate something else that I think I need to work on as part of that session. And that's, that's kind of how I work that. Yeah, I found in my own practice to be a similar thing that we don't, I don't feel like I need as much time as I maybe have assumed in the past that I needed. And so now I'm starting to understand that a lot of us used to equate time with progress. Just the more time you spend it, the more progress that you get. But now I'm starting to understand that that's not true. It's actually just progress equals progress. Like, are you getting better in the confines of what you've established as your boundaries? What I love about this is your boundaries are this particular time frame and this particular skill and your or whatever it is you're developing and you're just seemingly trying to improve upon that so how do you determine that are you are you trying to do all of whatever the weaknesses are or are you targeting specific ones how do you know which ones are the ones to do right now how do you know when to switch things up yeah, so so every Sunday evening I take a look at this to see what I think I need to work on. Really, I don't, I don't like this session to be more than 50 minutes, you know. Um, and so, and when I say 50 minutes, there's a lot of rest in there. I mean, I have the horns on my face probably 30 at the most, you know, because there's, there's a lot of rest in there. But um, this this part, you know, sort of I've, I've figured out sort of how to, how to, how to feel great in, in this certain time frame and get the things done that I need to get done. And so I'll rotate different things in and out depending on what I think I need. And it depends on, too, what I'm working on next and, and things that, you know, those, those sorts of skills integrating that into this session. And I think I change it pretty regularly. But, you know, the, the one thing that never changes is uh, the first 20 minutes. And, you know, the, the flow, I call it flow and maxing out range, where I'm alternating between it. One day I'll do a stamp and another day I'll do a Chickowitz. And I even like the, the um, plug flow studies. Uh, and, and what I'll do is I'll systematically and gradually expand where I max out range and I'm never more than mezzo piano. And, um, and uh, anyway, that typically never changes, but the, but the skills that come after that are the ones that are um, revolving. Yeah, because I've seen, I've talked to a lot of people who struggle with, you know, they're, they're doing their best and they're saying, you know what, I want to be better organized and I'm going to get this piece of paper, this spreadsheet, and I'm going to write down all of the things I could possibly do. And then they just either feel overwhelmed because it's too much or they feel bad because they're they're going to try to do it. But then they miss this on this day. And now that all of a sudden they see all the things they haven't done out of the things that they could do. So I think being able to sift through and figure out what's important for me to do right now is a really important part of this process that helps you sort of say, well, maybe this can go on the back burner so I can focus on this. And that's kind of why I was asking that question. I don't know if you have any sort of further insights into what for you 
lets you know that this is something I should work on. Okay, I've developed that enough. Maybe I need less of that so I can do more of this. Like kind of the nuts and the bolts if you have sort of a system of deciding. Well, I don't really have have a particular system other than I'm honest with myself. You know, if I if I catch myself, and a lot of these things come out in performance. Right now, we haven't had a lot of performances, but you'll you'll catch yourself on a performance where something didn't work right, and then you're like, "Why did that not work right?" And so then you start addressing that. You know, I'd mentioned earlier, low notes like a low G um, used to terrify me. You know, so so I address that. You know, and and so so you know, just being honest and. And knowing, uh, you know, we're in addition to being professionals we're, and students of the instrument, you know, um, a, as a teacher, um, we have to teach ourselves, and those are the those are the things that um, um, that we have to do in order to order to get better. And I think addressing weaknesses is key. Yeah, I would totally agree. I don't normally get this in depth on like routine stuff. This is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, I only have one more question about this, and so we can kind of move on to um other aspects. Um, when you are tackling your weaknesses, generally speaking, I'm under the assumption that you may not sound bad. Maybe you've, you've assigned something or developed something that allows you to sort of not just, you know, sound terrible, but you're also not playing at your maximum, right? Because you're developing this weakness. So there's something maybe not feeling great. And so I think it could be easy to, if you're spending a lot of your time in that space, start to feel bad about yourself, mm -hmm. you know, all the things you can't do focusing on that. So how do you balance this with things that you do do well, or is there a sort of mental thing that you have that allows you to sort of stay in a good space mentally while you're spending so much time working on things that you struggle with? That's a really good question. You know, these weaknesses, I'm only spending a few minutes on, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm speaking in terms of the first session of the day. So I'm only spending three minutes on a low G, but what I've noticed, and then, and then I'm doing other things, right? And yes, it can be very frustrating, right? Anytime we're addressing weaknesses, that, that can, you know, get in our heads a little bit. But I'm these three minutes, then I come back the next day and it's just a little bit better. And then over the, you know, because I'm addressing it, it becomes more of an encouragement than a discouragement, mm -hmm. you know, with an approach this way. I think we can, I think so many times we, we try to beat up the skills that we can't do very well, or we sort of, you know, beat ourselves up um, over those things. And I, I think that addressing these early in this sort of way, um, it's it's not really possible because you know you're, you're surrounding those weaknesses with things that you do well too, you know. So you know it's not the end of the world, or you, you know that sort of thing. So, so I think just having the patience to understand that this thing, you know, is a lifelong endeavor. Right. I mean, you know, um, when I was younger, I had zero patience with this sort of thing. And, and, and as I've gotten older, you know, um, you know, we can play trumpet for a long time. You know, there's a lot of people that play trumpet, you know, for a very, very long time. And, and I anticipate doing that. And so there's no need to, to panic. Yeah, that's such a great point for me and something I'd love for your comment on. I am a believer that the discipline of practicing the trumpet can drive development of something like patience or honesty, like you said, being honest with yourself. So sort of trying to uh, identify what is required to be able to have a good relationship with the trumpet 
And then when things you're strug- when you're struggling with things, being able to say, all right, well, is this a situation where I just need to be more patient? What would that look like? You can sort of almost um, at the forefront of your mind develop some of these weaknesses in terms of, because in, in my opinion, this matters more than the actual practicing of the trumpet. Can I be a patient person? If you can, that will affect the way you design the work and the way you do the work. So it sounds like, this would be true for you, but I'm curious if you sort of had a sort of direct, uh, sort of addressing this thing directly. You said when you were younger, you didn't have much patience as you've grown up. Do you feel like patience was developed somewhere else? Or do you feel like approaching the trumpet in this sort of lifelong growth way has helped you develop patience? Just what's your relationship with any of that? Well, I think when it comes to patience, um, I think when we're young, we want it now, or, you know, I look back to those two years um, and, you know, I think I approached it from a, in a healthy way. I think sometimes we can be unhealthy with that, but, you know, I gave myself two years, you know, and so there were certain things in that journey where you want to jump to the next step. You want to skip to the next step too quickly. Right. And, and, you know, I think when you have, after you get out of college and, and you start performing, um, Things, you know, at least for, for me, things became easier. Um, and because of that, I could start to see the long term coming to more of a focus and I was not so rushed all the time, you know. And mm-hmm. so, so I think that's probably where I developed that. And, uh, you know, I've always been kind of a routine kind of guy. And in fact, you know, and, and I think that helps you measure your progress. And I, and I think that's all patience and patience is, is you, you don't see your progress. And so you're like, what, what's, what's happening here? You know? And, and I think if you have a starting point that you're accustomed to coming to every single day, that in and of itself um, starts to, 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 you start to acquire patience through that maybe. One of the things I'm trying to do in my own work is provide structures that basically take sort of what I've learned and give it to people who may be sort of struggling with those kinds of things. How does this infiltrate your teaching with students who may be struggling with trying to find that starting place you've described? Or maybe they have a ton of ensembles and they got to do these things and they have all these other classes. You know, how do you, um, what does encouraging focus on progress look like in your teaching? No, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I preach this a lot, you know, if you, if you want to use that word uh, to my students. And, and you know, I've, this fall I've taught 17, I think at last count, like 17 studio classes virtually yeah. uh, to, to universities across the country. And this is the big thing that I'm talking about, actually, um, is this part of, part of your day of developing this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm particularly passionate about it and because uh, I just know what it did for me and um, you know I want to share that with others I you know I want all my students to be better than I am you know I, I withhold zero information like if my students pass me up and, and, and you know become principal of Chicago Symphony Orchestra someday you know I'm, I'm, I'm happy you yeah. know and so so my approach is to just give them everything that I can. And, uh, and since this is a particular passion, as I've mentioned, um, I, I talk about this stuff regularly with students. Yeah. So when a student is struggling to establish this, are there things that you sort of share with them that help them see when they're on the right track? I feel like that's such a big thing for me is something that can point to, even if it's not exactly what you want, 
this will help you know that you're on the right track. Usually it's just some sort of progress, right? You see that you've gotten better in some sort of way. But uh, with a student who's just as a general, you know, we have a fair amount of brass player, your listeners here. So if they're trying, they say, you know what, I want to figure this kind of thing out. Um, I want to start with these routine, these general things. How do they know that they've designed something that even if it's not perfect yet, is definitely on the right track versus something that is not working yet, but is to their detriment? Yeah, I think, first of all, when, when, when you start something or, 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 you know, the small victories add up, you know, and so, so I think recognizing when a small victory hits is huge. Mm. Um, and they're all over the place, right? You know, a lot of times my students will come in um, and they don't hear it. I'm like, oh my goodness, do you hear, hear that? And do that again. You couldn't do that, you know, last week. It could be something very, very simple. But it's, I, I really think that as teachers and as we teach ourselves, if we're not celebrating these little small things, then, then a lot of times we, we miss our progress and then we miss the momentum that that creates. Yeah. Totally. Oh, man, this is so cool. In the gym, this is so obvious, right? The yeah. small wins are I can lift five more pounds than I did last week, or I can do one more rep. And you realize, especially because it's so numbers-based, if if you, you can do the math and you can say, well, if I could add five pounds every single week a year from now, you know, I would have added 250 pounds to whatever lift and I would be the strongest person that's ever walked on the planet. So like you can sort of draw these straight lines once you understand what a little bit of progress looks like, you can really start to see. And you described when you got out on your own, you started performing, you start, some of this became real. You could see that long-term progress a little more clearly. Is this part of what that was? You could see how your work was affecting your performance in that way. And you could start to see how it was, in real life, sort of how it was of being implemented? Absolutely. I mean, I look back at my career and the trajectory, you know, uh, is, um, you know, when I got in the Air Force Band in D.C., I, I felt like I was one of the weaker players, you know. Um, and I left one of the more experienced players. Um, you know, when I got to you know, started my academic career at Arkansas State, you know, I was not the typical professor who who quit practicing or didn't practice as much. I mean, I was I was putting in the time away from my, my students and and continue to have a performing uh, career uh, as well uh, while I was in the middle of all that. And and so, you know, I sort of. You know, this is probably a different subject, but I sort of prided myself on sort of this this. Um, equal distribution between teaching and performing. And that's, that's sort of marked my career as well. But yeah, I just think that I never quit. I mean, and I never will, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, late bloomer, early bloomer, uh, none, of, none of that really matters. This is a lifetime situation that, that we, you know, a gift that we have, you know, and, you know, I go to bed at night thinking about trumpet. I wake up in the morning thinking about trumpet and, and how <laughs> I became become better. I mean, you know, Got it. You know, it's just is what it is, and and so I think it's a lifelong endeavor. Yeah, what I love about that is the idea that we've put this time frame on there, and we're comparing ourselves to other people. But you are walking like living proof that it doesn't really matter how long it could take you to get there. Once you're there. Like you're there, you know, you can play right. the trumpet the way that you play the trumpet. So if it took you 20 years to get there or if it took you two, it doesn't really matter. And so it helps, in my opinion, and this is sort of the, the, the culmination of this whole conversation for me, is it just puts the 
it puts it on you to say, what do I need to do today for myself to get better, not comparing to anybody else or anything like that? Do you feel you've ever struggled with comparing yourself to others or have you sort of had this like, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to try to get a little bit better. Um, and that's what I care about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, honestly, I think we all have had that issue of, of comparing ourselves with others. I think there's, um, you know, a healthier way to look at, at it and, uh, and a not so healthy way to look at it. I think social media, um, sort of creates, uh, some, some of those issues, but, you know, for me, like, like when you, when I, when I watched you from my living room, prepare for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra <laughs> audition, that, that it was amazing to me. When I see Chris Smith record an etude or Jim Wilt, I absolutely love that stuff, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, so I don't know if, if my, if my social media presence is ever too much, I know some people it really, you know, you know, gets under their skin or whatever, Ryan, I want you to let me know, but but you know, I, I enjoy putting stuff out there. I think during the time of quarantine with this stuff, it's it's you know, I mean, you know, my feed is is going off on this this type of thing, and 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 I've I've really enjoyed it. So you know, I try not to compare myself, and um, and really, when when I look at look at it, I'm like, oh wow, I love how they're doing that, and how can I incorporate that to my game? And uh, you know, we're all so so different, and I th- I just. It's really incomparable, really, how different we are and um, the things that we're doing and the things that we're going for. And so in that regard, um, I think I have a healthy approach. Social media for me is a really interesting thing. Uh, I have gone, I, I've been as someone who's been obsessed with it, checking it all the time. And I've gone to like, I don't want to post anything. I find it's oversaturated right now. Uh, and so it's like, I feel like it would be very difficult for people to care about anything because there's yeah. so much of it. But I've really focused on myself just trying to spread as much like beauty or as, you know, information that could help somebody and hopefully somebody runs across it. And so it's interesting that, you know, you referenced this, the Chicago Symphony thing. I mean, I was just like, wouldn't this be a cool idea if we like, if I did this and prepared, I didn't think people were doing that. And it's really cool that that would be inspiring for you and like mm. the stuff that you've put out, the performances you've been doing recently of like the Ketting and there's been a, like at least one more. I assume, I, I'm sure there's even more possibly coming down the pike. I, I just think I'd love for you, This is, I'm headed to this question, which is, it seems like you're interested in just trying to share some beauty with some people. And I feel like it simplifies the process of not who's better or who's worse, but just like, how can we share what we what we have? I'm just curious, like, if that was said it enough, I'm really sorry, but I'd love for your thoughts on uh, what you know what that means for you to be able to share with people of what you have. You know, I yeah, I mean, we all have something to share, um, and and I think we all want our voices heard, and um, and I think you know, for me, it's been integrating a little humor in with with that as well. You know, I mean, I, you know, I did that the segue video. I, I'm sh- sure a lot of your audience has seen it, but um, I did this thing where I was playing Zarathustra, uh, p- playing ping pong, at which I'm a really good I'm really good at ping pong. And I, ha- <laughs> I had this ping pong table in my living room, and I play with my kids and whoever comes over, you know, and um, 
So I'm really good at ping pong. And then I got my son a Segway for Christmas a couple of years ago, and I mastered that stinking thing. I mean, like I, I was doing chores all over the house on a Segway. I mean, I can get from one end of the house to the other really quickly. And then I was like, then I started practicing while I'm on the, on the stinking Segway. And then next thing you know, you know, my, my, my wife um, decides to film me playing Zarathustra, playing ping pong and on the Segway. And, uh, you know, I think the thing ended up getting um, 235K views or yeah. something. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't, last I checked. And so, you know, I think, I always like to make people smile, make people laugh. I think, you know, we're all so serious all the time. So I like to integrate a little bit of that. But yeah, I think, I think just as a performer, like I love it, you know, when people are looking at me. You know, I love it when, you, you know, I'm playing a recital or I'm playing in the orchestra and I have a solo or something and, and everybody looks at me. You know, that, you know that's, that's part of it being a performer. And, and I think if you have a healthy um, view of that, I think it's, uh, you know, it make, makes this sort of fun. And so, you know, I think with social media and, yeah, I'm put, on Tuesdays, I'm putting out like these, I'm working on unaccompanied rep. I, why? Because we're in the middle of Corona and, you know, most of our orchestras are shut down, right? Yeah. And so I decided to take a look at some of that and and putting it out there and and I hope it helps someone. Really, that's the reason I do it. Just like you were saying earlier, you know, I like helping people. I like you know, and and I like um, you know, it's it's not just about you know me me me. I, you know, I like I like the idea of of influencing others and helping others and the thing that you know the questions and things that that creates. So um, we're all in it together here. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a left turn, get back sort of on the track we were on, um, except we're going to skip a bunch of steps. I'm just going to ask you this question. You know, your career, like you were saying, didn't turn out the way that you had anticipated. You sort of had one idea, but it did a, a different thing, and then you had another idea, it did a different thing. Um, so when you talk to people, when you talk to students who are either unsure of their career path or they're overly sure of their career path or something like that, what kind of advice do you have? What kind of things do you try to encourage people with to basically be able to say, like, if you don't have it all figured out right now, it's totally okay. Look at me as an example. I had it figured out and nothing worked out the way I thought it would. Is there right. sort of any general ideas that you have to throw out there or sort of wisdom for anybody who might be struggling with our world being so different right now and what yeah. your experiences might be able to help with? Yeah, you know... I'm going to speak to like a music ed students. Um, you know, first of all, my music ed students, I don't treat them, didn't, didn't treat them any different than I did a performance major. And that's probably because that's how I wanted to be treated, you know? And, you know, the best, my best um, students who are music ed students who are now um, in the, in the public schools, the ones who developed musically are the best on the podium. It's, it's amazing how that translates, right? I mean, I've seen it firsthand over and over again. So I think developing musicianship and being the best musician you can possibly be, no matter what your, your end goals are, I think are important. Uh, I, th I think being open-minded, um, you know, uh, I, you know, when I won, won the military job, um, I th thought I was just gonna do it for a career. 
And, and then, you know, I ended up getting a doctorate on the GI Bill while I was in the military. And I did that for eight years, the, the, the Air Force Band. And so I got a doctorate because I thought when I retire, maybe I'll, I'll do some college teaching because, you know, um, because it was free, the GI Bill, you know. And so, that, so that's why I did that. But little did I know that a position was going to come open back in my home state. And, you know, uh, sort of I wasn't looking for an academic career. Uh, but but it just sort of happened, and you know, so I didn't I didn't know that that was going to be the sequence of events. Um, while I was at Arkansas State, you know, I, I, I was you know for a time period there, I was playing in Nashville, Memphis, and Arkansas Symphony Orchestras, and I was very busy away from my job, maybe too busy. And you know, I think at one point I was first calling all three of those orchestras, and um, so I decided Pittsburgh Opera came open. And I was like, I looked at their schedule, it's 18 weeks. I was like, you know, can I do that and um, Arkansas State and and then just drop all the orchestra things, you know? And and so I got into a habit of taking one audition a year there for a little bit. And I wasn't necessarily in it to win it, but I ended up winning it. Mm -hmm. And so my last three years at Arkansas State, I was splitting time between Pittsburgh and and Arkansas, and I was doing two, two different jobs. And and so I, I would have never predicted that. I would have never predicted, you know, playing playing principal trumpet in the opera. I didn't know much about the opera, other than I, you know, played, you know, a couple of Puccini's backstage, you know, you know. But I didn't grow up listening to that. And so, you know, I, I guess the point to all of that is that, you know, we don't know what's around the corner. And so I think we have to prepare um, for anything. And I th- and as far as the future of music, I mean. It'll, it'll come back around. Uh, you know, I, I'm convinced of that. And, and that's not just being a positive guy. I mean, I just think that, you know, once once things, you know, when, once this thing ends, it'll come back. Um, and so that that's my viewpoint on that. And it seems simplistic, but but I, I, I'm certain that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I, I One thing I wanted to kind of expand upon, because I find it to be sort of uh, – very nebulous is what it means to become uh, a better musician. Like, what does that mean? I understand becoming a better trumpet player. You know, I understand what that means, but as a better musician, so much musicality is so subjective, right? And so on whose standard are we better? And of course it would be our own, ideally speaking, but when you're auditioning for like an orchestra job, it's somebody else's standard at that particular moment. And so for you, when you're encouraging, you know, especially music education students who are, you know, now are going to go out and be better on the podium for it. What does that look like for you to encourage them uh, and becoming better and more complete musicians? Yeah. Um, are you talking about to me personally or, or as it relates to my students or both? I mean, just in the ways that you've possibly talked to your students, but I would love for you too. Uh, at, at this stage in your career, what does it look like? Because I'm sure it looks different now than it may have looked at other times. Yeah, you know, the thing that I would say to that is um, teaching teaching your students to never quit learning. And, and look, let's be honest, we work with our students, what we are working on ourselves, right? That's just how it works, right? And, um, and, and for me, and I'd already mentioned this, I, I just um, never quit learning. And, and, and hopefully this is answering your correct question or maybe taking it a different angle, Ryan. But, you know, just even in quarantine, you know, I, uh, 
I took a class Rob Knopper and Noah Kagiyama were doing on an audition boot camp. I mean, I'm 44 years old. Am I going to take more auditions? I don't know, probably. But, you know, am I getting too old? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, did I go to the conservatory? Absolutely not. But, but you know, I, every time I do something like that, I learn, you know. Um, um, reached out to when I was auditioning for the, the, the opera, you know, I reached out to Dave Bilcher and um, Pete Bond, uh, both those guys really helped me in preparation for that, you know, and that's, that's really important. Um, I've reached out to you, you know, mm -hmm. I think it's important. This is what I try to tell my students is that you can learn, um, so much by being open-minded, you know, um, and, and that's been a big thing for me and, you know, looking, yeah. So, so that, that's, that's the big thing is just never, ever stop learning and be hungry to, to, to learn new things and be open-minded, uh, about different uh, aspects. And um, I think that's, uh, that's a key thing in this lifelong journey. Yeah, I, it's so interesting. I, I hope I'm not going to, I hope no one will be upset by what I'm about to talk about. But I do feel that a lot of times in academia, we have, like what I've observed is this, we have like four years and we got to get all the information in four years. So we got to learn these pieces or we have to have this approach. But it, it sort of is implicitly saying that after these four years, the learning is like you, however far you got is however far you got almost. But you're speaking to the exact opposite of mm. that is that four years is just the beginning of where you will go for the rest of your life. And so to me, it would be significantly more encouraging and even having more patience in those formative years to be doing the right things and asking the right questions, being able to have more patience if you're viewing it as this is year one of my entire life instead of feeling you've got to cram all the learning in in those four years. Right. Um, have you seen that to be true? Or like what's, uh, what, what's your feeling on when people struggle with being patient as a result of not being able to see the long term? Yeah, it kind of breaks your heart. You know, I've had, you know, had, had a lot of college students who um, – you know, we're struggling a little bit. And, you know, from my perspective, these are things that are manageable, you know, and, and, you know, trying to teach them the, the, the patient side of that. And, you know, as they get older that, you know, they're just beginning, you know, I mean, it's a lifelong learning situation, you know, for example, and, and I always use this a lot, like in college in those four years, you know, I mentioned how bad my recital was, you know, you get one shot on those recitals, and, you know, all these one-shot things, and, and it means so much to you. Looking back on it, it's just like, why, why was that? I mean, like, my whole life <laughs> depended on it. I mean, yeah. what, what's up with that? You know, yeah. it's so weird. And that's how students still are. You know, th their whole life depends on how well they do on that. And it wasn't until, you know, after I got into the Air Force Band, I went on a brass quintet tour like three weeks after I, I got there. And we did the sh same show for two and a half weeks, Right. And so the first few concerts, you're a little nervy. I mean, these are big shows, big programs. By the end of that two and a half weeks, I'm like experimenting on stage with relaxation techniques. Right. I mean, right. I know the book so well. And I was like, if I would have known this in college, if I would have played my senior recital every night for two and a half weeks or every other night or something, you know, the results would have been different. And a lot of times, because things are so condensed in that four-year period, we don't have that perspective. Mm. And uh, that's what I learned when I got out. Uh, uh, I gained that perspective. So, I mean, this is going to be a weird question maybe, but do you feel like it's possible 
for students to develop that kind of mentality? Or is it just like school is the pressure cooker situation that it is? And once you get out, you have the finally the freedom to sort of think otherwise. Does that question make sense? No, it does. And I, I just think that, you know, as a teacher, reminding your students of your experiences with that, you know, uh, to encourage them along. And, um, and, you know, if there's ways that they can recreate, you know, certain things um, that emulate what's going on outside, uh, I think that that's important, like, like playing a recital at nursing home, you know, multiple times or, you know, before their actual recital, I think is, is a thing. But, you know, I was, I was in academia for 11 years. I was never, ever an academic. Sure. You know, and I did all the things. You know, I got, got promoted all the way to full professor. But I did all those things doing the things that I love, not the other things. And, and, and did, sort of steered clear from the administration stuff. And I think we have to have administrators. We have to have all that stuff. Like my wife is a, an assistant dean. Uh, at West Virginia, in addition to being the violin professor there, you know, but that wasn't me. And so, so it was, it was really more about me and my students and developing them uh, than being, you know, a, a sort of academic at such and such university. And so that was, that's not the right approach. That's, that was just my approach. And, sure. and I think uh, um, teaching students uh, that this is a lifelong thing is, is, is something that I took a lot of pride in. Uh, I'm a big believer that uh, developing it, like for me, this happened in the gym. I basically developed discipline in the gym, right? I, I bought this workout program from a guy and I did the first workout. It was super hard. I emailed him and he's like, look, everything's laid out for you. You just got to do it. So you have to decide, do I want to do this or not? So I decided, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to keep trying. Kind of what you were saying earlier. And I found that I could. I found that I actually could survive. And it got better. It it did not stay that horrible. And that taught me so many lessons. And the point of his programming is that that teaches you that. Like basically, you can carry this elsewhere in life. And I believe any discipline we take that seriously will affect how we view progress or certain things in the rest of our life. I'm curious for you, how is this sort of growth mindset thing uh, manifest in uh, other areas of your life that have nothing to do with the trumpet, like learning other skills or just ways you approach your day or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think just looking at, at COVID in general, I mean, you know, first of all, people who spend their whole lives, you know, um, trying to perfect something, um, they're going to be, you know, use those same skills in other ways. And, and so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm trying to become a better entrepreneur, uh, just like, just like everybody else. I mean, I've, I'm, you know, developing a website that's hopefully going to launch next month and it's, um, it's going to be lyrictrumpet.com, shameless plug here. <laughs> and so, so basically I'm building content. Um, for students, and it's going to have a video exchange component where a student can right there on the site submit a two-minute video max, two-minute max. These are quick hits, and they get a, a response from me uh, on those sort of things. And that's been modeled before. In fact, I had a business called Arkansas Trumpeter back back in the day um, where I did similar things. And so, so developing that, um, you know, as it relates to um, this, and then. Um, 
you know, spent a lot of time in, in my studio here, you know, and uh, always, you know, trying to look for new projects and and ways to, to monetize uh, doing the things that we love, you know, because, you know, things are shut down. And I will, I do want to talk about the Pittsburgh Opera and what we're doing this season here, here in a second, Ryan, when we get to that. Sure. But, um, so I'm constantly looking for th- things like that. And I think really the disciplines that we learn on the trumpet influences our, our entire lives. Uh, you know, that's, that's how we go about our business. I think we're some of the most disciplined people we know, you know, I mean, you know, and, and, the cool things that people are doing during this time, you know, is evidence of that. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool to see. So, yeah, I just, I'm such a believer in you, you just said it. So just sort of reinforce it and maybe even focus on it. This idea that the disciplines we have on the trumpet will affect us everywhere else in our life. I feel like it's worth saying that out loud. Cause I think a lot of people don't see it that way. I think it's like, here's the trumpet. Here's me over here. And we've sort of compartmentalized ourselves in these various aspects of what we do. But I think they have a lot more bleed and a lot more carryover than sometimes we realize. And and recognizing that if I can be disciplined on the trumpet, I can be disciplined uh, whether with other goals that I have. Or, you know what, if I have to go get a different job that's not trumpet related, I can be disciplined there. I can be creative there. Like all of the things that we would bring to our trumpet practice and our music making will make us just more useful mm-hmm. in every aspect of our life. And I, I feel that the thing that gets me fired up and excited about that is it's like, what better use for our instrument practice than like developing ourselves as human beings? And it's totally possible. Mm-hmm. Like you can win every day, regardless if you sound good or you sound bad. Like you mm-hmm. can win thinking that this is making me a better human overall. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. I like yeah. that, Yeah. You want to talk I mean, about what Pitt? Go ahead, go ahead. I mean, no, seriously, Ryan, where where would we be had we not found music or the trumpet? I mean, you know, um, you know, we would have probably been, we maybe would have been successful, maybe not. I mean, I just can't imagine all the skills that we've learned with this. Uh, you know, I guess we could have learned them in a different discipline. I'm not saying that if you're a non-musician, you know, you can't be successful, but I'm just saying as it speaks directly to us, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's clearly um, made an impact on our lives, and, and and both on the trumpet, off the trumpet, as a musician, pursuing other projects. I mean, it's just it's just a huge thing, and, and very very thankful uh, for that gift. Yeah, that's the next thing I was going to ask about. Uh, just like gratitude in general, like a lot of people have specific gratitude practices you know maybe they'll write down the things they're thankful for in a journal or like other ones i've heard is like when you're standing in the shower list 30 things you're thankful for or something you know do you have a specific like sort of gratitude practice for this or do you just find yourself to be overall a person who has a posture of gratitude and thankfulness in general or some other version of that question yeah no I, i don't have anything formal with that um you know, for me, <laughs> this sounds this sounds interesting, but I'm a big to do list guy, and every time I raise something to do on the to do list, uh, you know, gives gives me more momentum for the next thing. Um, but as as far as you know, just this attitude of gratitude, um, you know, I think not always in the moment do I have that. All right, so 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 let's be very very clear here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, j- just in uh, you know, speaking of uh, you know. The pandemic. I mean, like, my house was for sale on March 28th, and it got 
you know, hit by a tornado. So, so the next month and a half, I was did not have a lot of gratitude, you know. Um, you know, my back went out over the summer, and uh, you know, I quit practicing trumpet for a month and a half, and I was uh, not a happy person. I did not have a lot of gratitude. I did not have a lot of, you know, I, I wasn't thankful for much. In fact, you know, I was very selfish. You know, so it's not something that, um, you know, I became very self-centered during those moments, you know. Sure. And so, so, you know, so that's not, doesn't always come easy to me. But, you know, when we do celebrate the small victories and we write stuff down and we go back and look, um, I think uh, is an important part of the process. I would totally agree. I mean, I think it's pretty rare to be able to, I think the more you do it, the easier it gets to catch yourself in the middle uh, and be like, you know what? There's maybe something to be thankful for, but I think it's pretty rare. Unfortunately, I mean, I think that's what growth looks like is being able to catch yourself in the middle. Like that's where you realize, oh, I've gotten better at this. I can see normally I'd get really angry. I'm a person who struggled with anger for a lot of my life. And I don't have much anger at all. It was like I was angry and I was doing it. And then I was angry, but I was able to hold it in. But I was still angry about a lot of things. And then now I've sort of grown where I don't just get as angry about stuff anymore. Um, but a lot of it, the growth came from like, I would recognize this thing will normally make me angry. What perspective mm. needs to exist to sort of allow that anger to happen? But then like also like so acknowledge I'm mad but then also like what perspective could exist. And oftentimes gratitude will just completely dissipate a lot of those negative feelings for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I like Sorry. it. That's a, it's hard. I, I really am trying to make sure I'm not talking too much during these interviews, you know, but I get so excited. No, you're doing good. You're doing good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to kind of talk about what, what you're doing with Pittsburgh? You just mentioned that, uh, just what that looks like for you guys this season. Yeah. So, you know, just like everybody else, we, we got hit with this, but I, I serve on the players committee. And so we are having a season. So, but it's with very, very small orchestra, very few singers. Singers are, are you know, in masks. And we just finished our first production. I actually wasn't on it. I'm actually not playing until the spring. Um, because the orchestra is so small, you know, we're doing um, different things and condensed things. And so, but anyway, we're doing, we're, we're doing four productions, two in the fall and two in the spring. And what's happening is we normally perform at the Benetton Center in downtown Pittsburgh, which is just next door, adjacent to Heinz Hall, where the, where the symphony performs. And, uh, you know, Pittsburgh, I know. And um, beautiful hall. I mean, it's a, just an absolutely gorgeous hall, but they, it's shut down for the year. And so at the opera headquarters, the opera house, we have a 200-seat venue where we rehearse oftentimes. And so 50 people can come to the shows. Um, and, and, and in each production, there's six performances. And then there's also a free live stream uh, on the Friday night concert. And so it's it's pretty cool what we're doing. And we're, we're continuing the season and, and, and all that, you know, hoping, hoping that it continues. The first production was a success. And, um, you know, we're going about it safely and and all those things. But I I think uh, I'm really proud of of the things that we're doing there. That's amazing. Yeah. It's like such a struggle. I mean, in our orchestra, we we just don't know yet what it's going to look like, you know. Um, We had a contract negotiation also in the middle of that. So it kind of like threw a wrench in everything. And 
you know, one of the discussions we're having right now, you know, it's, it's just that thing about masks and bell covers and bags. And it seems, you know, Kathleen, my wife, has, she plays clarinet. She has a bag over a clarinet. And she's like, there's just like things I can't do, you know. And I, sometimes I wonder, like, I get we want to get back on stage and do it. But also, like, it seems like for them especially is such an inconvenience now, you right. know. Right. And it's, I mean... It's just crazy that, you know, we're going to go through all of this to to have these live performances and then for you guys to actually go through it, to do it, to go probably through all those safety measures and then have like successful performances probably feels pretty gratifying, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, and you know, hopefully hopefully the next year we'll be back to do the, the, the full major productions and all, all, the, all those things, but... But yeah, it's 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 good to sort of keep keep the keep it going a little bit, and uh, and, and and that's that's not being braggadocious in any way, because my heart goes out. You know, like like the orchestra that I played in for a long time, Nashville was one of the first orchestras to shut their whole season down. Yeah, and um, it was heartbreaking. I mean, you know, you know, L.A. Phil, New York, you know what? It, the, the whole thing is just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. For you as somebody who, you know, you're you're playing pit, principal trumpet in Pittsburgh, uh, you were talking about uh, doing these virtual master classes. Uh, I think you said 17 schools. Um, obviously, you're producing video content. You're going to have this website coming out. Obviously, a, a family man as well. You'll wear a lot of different hats. How do you make sure that you're able to be what and who you need to be like what I find is if I don't take care of this side of like what rest looks like and just really making sure that I'm sort of filling myself up, I'm just like a bad version of myself around like my family. I don't mean bad. I just mean like maybe a little bit irritable or like I don't want to hang out with everybody. I want to just, you know, so what does it look like for you to sort of rest, to take care of yourself? Um, In Wiff's book, he talked about Sabbath. Um, this idea of rest and that we need these kinds of things. Uh, that so, if that helps, sort of uh, describe the question. I know you just finished reading his book. I saw you post about it. Yeah. Um, do you have anything that that it's important for you to in this side of your life to make sure you can show up for everybody? Yeah, you know, look, I haven't again. I have to admit that I haven't always been perfect here, you know. And so, um, this is going to sound crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. But <laughs> that that fifty two minute warm up that I was talking about, getting that in, you know, and you know, like like if I don't don't do it, like on a Saturday, my tendency is to not do it. Then then I'm sort of you know irritable and in a bad. So so I know that sounds crazy. It, it all comes back to the trumpet, I guess. But that's that's one thing. And and I think you know. By the way, Wiff's book. Um, if there's a if there's a you know a better you know obviously I'm partial, but um, talk about a talk about a guy who by the way is a brilliant trumpet player you know uh, you know he you know was part of D- Dallas Brass and Rhythm and Brass back in the day which I think was the best brass group at that time, um, going and just what he's done as a teacher um, is just phenomenal. So his book is. Um, this book is, is awesome. So what is it called? Um, side by side, maybe mm-hmm. put, put a little yeah. shameless plug, any studio teacher out there or any music teacher in general. I think it's a, it's a phenomenal read, but you know, I think we have to have things that we do away from, uh, music for me, it's sports. I mean, I like, I'm this huge sports fan. Um, and, um, you know, and I think, uh, 
you know, exercise is important, uh, you know, and, and, and all those things, all those measures are really, really important. And I think, to, you know, turning things off and, and listening, you know, um, to those around you um, is, is really, really important. And, uh, um, yeah, all those things. And, um, but I find it funny that you're asking me these things because I have failed in, the, in these areas because I, I get so hyper-focused and, and my tendency is to, you know, shut things out, shut things down and focus on one thing you know, and oh, yeah, uh, I'm the same yeah, way. Yeah. 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 When I was doing these like programming type things, it was like, I'd shut myself in a room and do this thing. And I would come out of the room and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to tell Kathleen everything that I just did, you know? Yeah. And so it's like the, our whole lives were like the thing that I cared about. And it took a long time for me to sort of like, I'm going to do my work. Maybe I'll be able to like schedule some time with Kathleen over a cup of coffee. We'll talk about this. But in general, like I got to learn to chill out about some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. yeah, man. With I reached out to with to interview him, and he, I was like, I see you're releasing a new book. Uh, we could talk about that. And with said, well, let me send you a copy of the book. <laughs> it will make the conversation that much better if you've actually read the book. I said, sure, that's fine. I've read a lot of personal development books at this point. I mean, I, I, I'm not not as many as everybody else, but like I've probably read like you know 20 or something books that are specifically personal development related. And so I don't know if I would have bought Whiff's book, right? Because I'm not a studio teacher, and I've had a lot of personal development, whatever. And it gives me great pause that I wouldn't have bought this book because I'm like a hundred and something pages into it, and it's so thought provoking. I'm kind of like, it gives me pause. It's like, I may not have picked up this book. Like I may not have read yeah. this book, you know, that's crazy considering how much I've gotten out of it and how much I'm like writing all these questions and the margins and stuff for right. whiff. And it's just like, man, like why would another book need to be written? That's like how I feel about it almost. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's gotta be cool for you to, uh, I mean, I'll sort of tie it back to our interview. That's sort of an aside, but it's got to be cool for you to be able to sort of reconnect almost with Whiff all this time later through this book and feel like, oh, yeah, like this is the teacher that like helped drive my understanding mm -hmm. of how to progress long term in those kinds of things. That's got to be really special for you, I imagine. Oh, definitely. And and that's no small thing. And, and the impact that teachers have on, on their students is no small thing. And And he definitely had that impact on me for sure, as did all my other teachers as well. So as you as an educator, I wonder if you have any uh, experience with this. Like I, I imagine teaching can be a, a, a somewhat thankless job where you have these students that come in and you're doing, you're giving them everything you can and maybe X amount of time, maybe at that time they thank you. Maybe years later they thank you, but sometimes like you don't hear back from them. So obviously we can't do it for the praise, right? Because that's not like a constant or a given. So, um, for you as an educator, what kinds of things you've sort of talked about it, but maybe just like a concise thought? Um, what kinds of things make it worth it for you? Like, what seeing some this in your students uh, makes it worth it, or like just kind of maybe you grow as a musician? What kinds of things are for you that makes it worth it for the hard work that you're putting in? All of those things, um, you know, the one, 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 one for one. 
your students become your best friends. I mean, and, and that's that's no joke, you know, especially because you, uh, you know, because you build relationships with them. And and, and I made it, uh, it was really important to me to, to visit with them away from the trumpet, like how's school going, how's your, how's your week going, those sorts of things. I think that's really important. And I think they'll work harder for you if they know that you're going to lend them that sort of ear. And it's not just trumpet, 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 or it's not just, you know, uh, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you know. And so, so uh, as a result of that, you know, they've, they've become uh, such great friends, you know, uh, so many of them. And I'm still in touch uh, with so many of them. So that's, uh, that's a pretty amazing thing. And then, you know, they teach you a lot musically. I mean, the things, I mentioned this earlier, the things that you're working on your own plan, you work on with them, and they, it works both ways. They teach me. You know, and that goes back to this sort of being open-minded. Like my students have taught me many trumpet lessons, mm-hmm. okay, and, and and I just have to say that. And you know, the other thing that teaching does is it invigorates the teacher. You know, like like say say you're feeling you know you, you walk into a lesson and you're not in the best of moods, for example, and that lesson's over. And that mood is completely flipped, right? It has a way of doing that. And so I don't know that I'll ever teach uh, in, a, in a university uh, sort of setting ever again mm-hmm. uh, f- for, for a variety of reasons. Uh, I'm not ruling that out. Um, but but, but um, I, I do, you know, it's a lifelong thing and, and that'll continue. And that, that, those are the parts of it that I absolutely loved. And, you know, going in the hallway, in between lessons, you know, and a student would come up to you and tell you they did such and such in the practice room and had this sort of success, or, you know, they they, they mentioned something that we talked about away from the trumpet house going much better, so much better now. You know, those sorts of those sorts of things. It's uh, it's pretty special. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I kind of want to sort of shift in this little third phase questionnaire part, you know. Um, I'm a huge believer that uh, tough times in our life often teach us lessons that we wouldn't have learned any other way. Uh, I certainly have my fair share of them. I've shared on this podcast a fair amount of them. Um, With whatever degree of vulnerability you want, I'm kind of curious if there's like sort of times in your life that were difficult, uh, that taught you important lessons that, um, that you wouldn't mind sharing with us, be able to sort of connect with you that way? Plenty of struggles in, in my life, obviously, and uh, like we all have. And, you know, made lots of mistakes. Um, um, and, you know, that's, that's life. You, you learn from them and you move on. Uh, I'll start out with a sort of a more humorous, funny story. Um, when I was in the Air Force Band, we used to do um, uh, concerts down at DAR Constitution Hall downtown around Christmas time. I was only playing on the second half, and I showed up to the concert without my pants. Okay, so I, I, got, I was going to get dressed <laughs> at intermission, and so I realized that about five minutes before I was going to have to go on stage. I mean, I'm in, I'm in the military, like you know, this, this you know, you, you get discharged in the military if you walk out on stage in your underwear, you know, and yeah. that's the position I was in. And so, anyway, <laughs> luckily, the, our harpist um, did not play on the second half, but you know, he was two of me, you know, big guy. So, so I walk out on stage, 
you know, with uh, with these huge pants on. But, but at least I had pants. So anyway, uh, I don't think I've ever forgotten my pants for a gig again. But that 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 was that was, yeah. that was a big one. So that would do so, it. So there's there's a life lesson. <laughs> but no, you know, I mentioned earlier um, about this idea of nerves, and I didn't really, you know, the performance anxiety stuff. And I almost quit playing trumpet numerous times over that. And you know. Um, I mean, I have story after story where I like, I'm not cut out for this. Okay. And so, um, do I still, um, still struggle with this? Of course we all do. But I think when I quit, when I finally quit fighting back against it and embraced it, then that's when things began to change. So that's certainly been, um, a huge challenge. I mean, I remember even at one point in college, just quitting music altogether and, and going to become a, a Marine Corps officer, you know, uh, I don't know what I was going to do, fly helicopters or something. I mean, I, you know, and I think it all centered around this, this struggle that we all go through at, at some point. Um, and, you know, like a, like a buddy of mine uh, in the Air Force band said, you know, trumpet playing or being a musician is not brain surgery, you know, and I think when things are working well and it, it can be really easy. It can be a really easy gig if we if we if we prepare ourselves right and, and just uh, embrace certain things. And but anyway, those those are those are a couple of struggles. I you know I I'm a pretty forgetful guy. I can't find my keys most days, <laughs> and uh, you know I struggle with that. And uh, uh, but anyway, uh, we all overcome. Yeah, I man, I appreciate it. that's a good story. I, I, it reminds me of a story I was playing a. Um, I was a sophomore. I was playing with the graduate quintet. We had a show at the big civic center in Oklahoma City. And uh, all I had to do is just play, a f- you know, two measures of something. I think uh, Professor Anderson just needed, there was like one lick that was just a little too long. And uh, he wanted, you know, to have an extra, like an assistant or whatever. And I think I played, I think I was playing like six trumpet on something or, or whatever. And then I played assistant for him. Well, on this, on this tune, I played my assistant thing and I was like, all right, we're done. We got this, we stood up to bow, and my cummerbund just like shot off in front of like 2,000 people. I, like I said, I was a sophomore. My hair was like below my eyes. I had more facial hair than I do now. I was just a disaster. And I remember that popped off. I was like, how do you pick this up without everyone seeing that I have to pick this up? I don't remember. Maybe I just did it and just like sucked it up. But yeah, that's like stuff like that, you know, like it's just, it's just always good. Always good. Everyone's got one like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, dude, this has been great. I'm so glad we had the chance to talk. Hey, I've really enjoyed it, Ryan. I've always been a big fan. I think I've already said that. And uh, I've listened to a lot of these podcasts. And congratulations on all your successes with this stuff and, and all the people you're bringing on. And to, to be a part of that, I'm obviously very, very honored. Dude, uh, I mean, this is... I mean, just speaking, you know, I guess this will go on the episode. It's just been pretty amazing to be able to, I've made more connections through this podcast and the music industry and what our field is than I had in the previous like seven years of being a professional musician. Just like reach out to people and just ask them questions and to connect with them uh, has been a really rewarding experience. I feel like it's not trying to like get on a soapbox here, but I feel like it's a, a little bit of what we're missing in our culture right now, everyone's telling each other what they think and what they feel, but very few people seem to be asking like, what has your life experience been? Mm-hmm. Like, help me understand you a little bit. So to, to have something in place that does that without me actually thinking I have to, you know what I mean? It sort of serves a cool purpose, so. Agreed, um, absolutely. Yeah. 
If people listen to this episode and they thought Chris Wilson sounds like the nicest guy in the entire world, I want to tell him how nice he is. How would somebody get a hold of you to be able to tell you that? Well, you can always find me on social media, Christopher Wilson on Facebook, and uh, what is it, at Chris Wilson Trumpet on Instagram. Um, uh, you know, uh, Chris Wilson Trumpet at gmail.com is a good email address. And uh, just be looking out for this new website, lyrictrumpet.com. You'll be able to contact me on that at some point, and, uh, and would love to hear from you. If anybody needs to get in touch with me, we all know what to do. This is the 84th or 85th time I've said it. So um, that's not spit.com at that's not spit on Facebook and Instagram. If you enjoyed the episode uh, or if you just had any thoughts whatsoever, um, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and a review on iTunes, that'd be awesome. Please don't forget to share on social media uh, so that other people can find the episode. Chris, thank you so much one more time for being on the episode. This is a great conversation. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you so much. I want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong. Be kind to yourself. Never stop growing. And we'll see you next time.